Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. This is another in a series of programs that I'm recording from Freeport, Maine. Some of you might know of Freeport as the location of the flagship L.L. Bean store. It's uh, in iconic Maine here near the coast. We have been attending a seminar. I'm actually, myself, teaching a series of uh, of seminars here at this venue. There are people from all over the country, literally, here making presentations, especially talking to people about making a difference in their communities. Many of these presentations are focused on health, and I've had an opportunity to visit with some of the presenters. Some of you have heard me interviewing them on the broadcast, but I'm also enjoying meeting the folks who are coming to get the training. Sitting across from me right now is one such person, her name is Barbara. Barbara actually is a uh, resident, if I'm not mistaken, of northern New England. Is that true, Barbara? Yes, it is. So, Barbara, your last name is Umbro. Have I got that right? Correct. And where do you call home? Lymington, Maine. Lymington, Maine. Now, for people that don't know northern New England, where would that be, say, in relation to Portland, Maine? That would be west of Portland, about... 45 minutes to an hour west. Okay. So you are not a health professional, is that correct? No, I am not. But you've been doing something that I learned about while I was here that is making a significant difference in the health of your community. Tell us a bit about what you've been doing. I have a class of young people from the ages of 5 to about 12 every week. And we have about 30 minutes together. In one segment of that 30 minutes, I've been impressed to teach them some principles of health to help them make choices rather than just go along life thinking everything is anything goes, so mm. to speak. So I began by teaching them the eight laws of health. Eight laws of health? Yes. So what what do you mean by the eight laws of health? I think I know where you're going, but for our listeners, they may not have heard this terminology. Well, the acronym is New START, which is nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, and trust in God. So I taught them a little song, which they just absolutely loved, hmm. and... I've heard of one young lady who never drank. It was difficult for her to drink water. When her mother offered her some juice, she said, water, water. (laughs) And another thing I have done is I have a felt of the human body. I mean, it's a picture of the inside rather than, so they kind of go, ew. (laughs) Uh But I I have a large poster I made about the nutrition facts Uh that we have on packages my intent was to teach them how to read some basics on it, like portion sizes. 
And, for example, one of the things I showed them was a package of ramen noodles. Okay. And they guessed there would be at least one portion in the package. They were surprised to hear it was it was a two-serving package because hmm. they automatically would eat the whole thing. They right, thought it right. was yummy. The reason why I pointed out this particular food was because of the salt in it. Okay. Which on the label is called sodium. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess combined the two servings, if they ate the whole package, the combined sodium level was over 1,700, wow. which was very nearly a whole day's <gasps> supply. Uh-huh. That's of, a lot of sodium. Of sodium, yes. And I also started to teach them about fiber. I likened the fiber to the digestive system. Mm-hmm. And I I gave them the example of a car wash, how you enter a car wash and it just squirts from every direction mm-hmm. and you're on rollers and it moves you through and they squirt things at you all along and finally it leaves the car wash. So I liken that to digestion. It goes through the mouth and it moves through the system, Mm -hmm. through little hairs that move it through from the mouth and everywhere it goes, it gets added, a lot of different additives to process the food and then finally leaves the body. So basically what I hear you're doing, Barbara, is you're taking children from five years old to 12, is that right? Yes. And you're trying to give them basic health education. You're using this concept of eight laws of health. You said the first element is nutrition. You've been illustrating that with fiber and with sodium. But you're not just focusing on nutrition. You're going through these other health principles as well. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. The first six months I've been focusing on nutrition because it's such a big subject. Uh uh Now for the next six months, I'll have a little tidbit on nutrition Mm -hmm. to keep that fresh, but I've already covered exercise. And when I return from these seminars, I will start working on water and the importance of water. I also taught them about the white blood cells, Hmm. which fights germs Mm -hmm. and how sugar restricts the white blood cells from fighting germs. And I just uh, mentioned to them if it was, well, after Halloween and Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and Christmas Mm -hmm. and uh, Valentine's Day, it's not a coincidence that there is a rash of illnesses in the schools Mm -hmm. because of all the sugar that's being consumed, which lowers their ability to fight the germs that are around. Yeah, that's that's amazing research. I mean, it's been out there for many years where they actually, they, they showed that when the blood sugar content was higher, when you when a person consumed more sugar uh, specifically, that their white blood cells could actually consume or could phagocytize or gobble up fewer invaders. And uh, a lot of people, I, I find that a lot of uh, health professionals don't even realize it. So you're teaching these kids some cutting-edge health information. Yeah, it's been out there for a while, but you're giving them some basis to make sound decisions. Now, Barbara, do you find that as a result of what you're sharing with these children once a week, did I understand that right, for half an hour? 
Well, no, I can't spend the whole half hour on health. Okay. So, so I have maybe like five, maybe ten minutes max in in that time period. And uh-huh. that's each week. So, you know, so far that's been 26 lessons. And I usually bring in um, like a box of cereal mm-hmm. or, a, a bo- you know, a package of cookies so that they not only know about fiber and sugar and salt they can read it on the label one young lady uh, was given a single serving size of dunkin donuts Mm -hmm. she's six and she immediately turned it around and read the label oh there's 400 here of sugar in here Mm because she knows that the sugar is on the label Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm not certain if she said milligrams Mm-hmm. But she knew that 400 was on the high side. <laughs> hmm. So basically, these kids are reading labels. They're making decisions. You bring things to class. Some of those things might be healthy options. I'm presuming that you brought in the donuts and the cookies as examples of things that you probably don't want to eat lots of. Is that part of your rationale? We, we also bring things that are healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're making these connections. Now, do the kids, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I'm doing the math. If you have five to ten minutes and you've been doing this for 26 weeks, uh, you know, there are full-length films that run less than that or run, I should say, run a little bit more than that, about that, that length of time. So this is not a lot of exposure in terms of minutes, you know, as far as what kids are, are seeing and listening to. Is it making a difference? Do you have any indication that this is really sinking in any of this stuff? My mission is to share this with the children. Mm -hmm. This is what the Lord has laid upon my heart to share with them. And I know that words are like seeds. Some of them will will flourish and some will Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hear them repeating things because we also share this in song. Okay. The the children are singing, um, my body is great, God made it that way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we share the health food circle there <clears throat> that we haven't felt, mm-hmm. and we're learning things that way, and songs usually stick with their memories that much longer, mm-hmm. so you know, I can't predict how long they'll remember mm-hmm. or any of that. I feel impressed that that needs to be shared. And I hear from time to time that when they're at a, a fellowship meal, they're they're talking about, well, how many cookies can I have? <laughs> okay. And little things like that. No, I think this is extremely significant. And I You know, I don't want anyone to misunderstand my question to you, Barbara. I think a lot of people minimize the impact of repeated exposures over time. And so although the cumulative amount of time that you're spending with these children or that you have spent over the last half year may not seem like all that much, because you're exposing these kids to these healthy concepts every week, even though it's not a lot of time, it can make a significant impact. Now, exercise is one of the areas where it seems that our kids are falling short. 
these days. Uh, this is true everywhere. Many of my listeners listening from reservations, Native Americans listening in urban contexts, people who are not Native tuning in. And it seems like it doesn't matter who you talk with. Most people say the kids today are doing less physical activity than kids a decade or two ago. Do you find, as you've been teaching them about exercise, have you seen any evidence that they're getting more interested in being physically active? Well, we only had two weeks on exercise. Mm-hmm. And I I was talking to them about, about 150 years ago where exercise wasn't an added activity mm-hmm. because it was a part of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, unfortunately, it's not as much a part of life anymore. So they have to choose an activity. Um, but from some of the things that I've learned in your class, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that causes them, well, they don't have to go out jogging or doing Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. really heavy Mm -hmm. as long as they are moving. And it is a stumper for me to tell the children what to do because there's all kinds of different activities that kids would be interested in. Um, but I told them it isn't. It doesn't come as naturally as it would have 150 years right, ago. Right, right, right. Well, and I think you, you got the accurate message. And what Barbara's referring to is in some of my classes here, we've been talking about just the importance of making exercise part of your daily routine. And that surely includes useful work, just like traditional Native Americans did. They weren't trying to plan many, you know, at least in many tribal cultures, they didn't have to try to plan to do exercise. It was just what they did, whether they were, you know, farming, whether they were hunting, fishing, whatever it might be, whether they were walking. Well, believe it or not, Barbara, our time has slipped away from us in this segment. You've got a great resource, though, that inspired you. Tell us a little bit about that. I found a book, a song book called Janice's Attic. And in this book, there are many songs that have the health principles in it. My desire was to increase the children's capacity to remember these health practices. Tremendous, Barbara. Our time has slipped away in this segment. I know you have got to step out as well. But uh, Janice's Attic, it was a uh, television show for uh, a number of years on a variety of stations, you may still be able to find that resource. Make a difference in your community. Reach out to the children. Follow Barbara's example. We've got more great guests coming up on today's show. Don't go away. More on today's edition of American Indian Living right up after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call one 800 775 hope that's 1-800-775-4673 we'll be right back after this this is betty white i know you don't need one more thing to worry about but listen high blood pressure can cause kidney damage blindness heart attack stroke and you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right one in seven adults has it but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked and you can treat it if it is too high So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I promised you that when we came back, we'd be speaking with another fascinating guest, and uh, I believe he's really going to deliver on that promise. I'm sitting across now from Glenn Holland. Glenn, it's great to have you on American Indian Living. Thank you. Glenn, I know you've got an interesting background. We want to hear about that in a minute, but for those who are just joining us, This is one in a series of shows that we've been recording from the furthest northeasternmost state of the United States. We're in the state of Maine, and we're at a convention where there's all kinds of people here, presenters, uh, experts, people that are doing things in making a difference in communities. And it's uh, coming under the umbrella of faith-based activities. But what we're learning here is there's all kinds of things that people can do, whether they're a member of a faith community or not, and you've got some exciting stuff to share with us that really speaks to people across Indian country and beyond, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Glenn, tell us a little bit about where we're going. What are we going to be speaking about in these next few segments together? What I'd like for us to spend some time discussing is the value of helping people not only learn the value of work but how to put it into real practice and how to make it meaningful and how to make it something that's a a journey that they'll enjoy. Because oftentimes when we think of work, it sounds uh, almost depressing just to Mm. think about it. You go to a job and you do a job for somebody else and you work all day and you come home fatigued and all of that. But what if work were something that people were looking forward to? What if work were something that we enjoyed? And and then the fruits of that labor, of course, being the financial side of things, being a, a means to supporting the family, to helping in making a difference in the world and all of that, that's the sort of thing that I'm really fascinated by. Well, this is an exciting topic. And 
I know you're working right now in an environment where there are a lot of folks who don't have jobs. There's some real homelessness issues because right now you actually are in a pastoral role in Portland, Maine. Am I understanding that correctly? That is correct. And the poverty count there is quite high. About 22.9% of the population is below the poverty line. And that and that's just in the zip code surrounding our particular church. But there are places that it seems to be even higher than that. And so we're looking at a population that really needs to learn some skills and to find some ways to make a difference for their families and not just be dependent on a social service system that um, they really wouldn't want to be at if they could find a better way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you have an interesting title. I mean, there are many faith communities around, but there aren't a lot that I've run into that have people in ministry who have a title like yours. What I've jotted down before the show is that right now you're the pastor for community ministries or community services of the Seventh-day Adventist Church there in Portland, Maine. Did I catch that title right? That's correct. That is what I see my role primarily as in our church. And it's something that actually started in a previous district. Okay. We were in Beltsville, Maryland. Mm Mm-hmm. And the senior pastor of that congregation talked with me about what I would really like to do in ministry and what he saw as a need in that church. And after a couple of conversations, he tasked me with the idea of, uh, you need to be the pastor for community ministries in this congregation. You need to help our local congregation see the value of doing what we can to help the community in which we live. Mm -hmm. And we have a facility We'd like to see you develop the facility. We would like to see you actually mobilize our congregation so that we can make a difference in the community to help people get to a better place in life. Now, what's so exciting for me about what you're doing, Glenn, is although you're doing it, you're coming at it from a church-based or a faith-based perspective, you're going to be telling us about things that a tribe could take ownership of, that a... uh, a community organization, a service uh, club could take part in. Is this right? Absolutely. You would not have to be a church in order to do this. Um, The Jobs for Life program that I'm going to be sharing with you is something that has been written. It, It could be done by anyone, although you have to recognize that the orientation of the authors of the program have been from a Christian background. Okay. And because of that Christian background, one of the things that they have utilized in the in the process is Bible stories. Now, the Bible stories are timeless principles, and if you are not a Christian, it's quite all right, because they're simply taking some of the great stories that you find in biblical literature and unpacking those stories and sharing things like the story of Joseph, for example, and demonstrating work ethic. And uh, and being uh, principled and high integrity and all of those values that we would see today as excellent characteristics for an individual that's in the workforce. And so they, they'll take a story like that and build on that story and then show how those timeless principles that were effective for Joseph would also be effective for us in our day, even though we're thousands of years removed from Joseph. That story has incredible 
uh, value in today's society because if all of us had the integrity of Joseph, for example, if all of us had the work ethic of Joseph, uh, wouldn't the world be a different place? And those are the kinds of things that it does throughout the course. It is taking a story that is rooted in Scripture, in the Bible, and then showing how those timeless principles can work out in the real world today. Now, you mentioned the name of Joseph, and I think many people, whether they've ever read the Bible or not, are familiar with that story. But I would not be surprised if there's many people tuning in that it's just kind of a vague recollection that there was such a person as Joseph. Can you illustrate us very practically what was that story? Teach us those lessons right now. Joseph grew up among a family that was integrated, and many families today are integrated homes. And Joseph was the special child from his father, and and he was um, kind of doted over. And over the course of years, as he grew up and became a teenager, um, everyone knew of Joseph as the special child. Mm. And it incited a bit of rebellion and resentment from his brothers. And to make a long story short, he was sent out to find his brothers who were out herding sheep and his dad wanted to see how things were going. And in the course of going out to find them, he found the brothers and they decided what a great time to um, to do away with him. Mm. And so they ended up selling him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt and of all things ends up in the household of a man named Potiphar who finds him to be an outstanding character. Now, now this story is so powerful, I think, when we're speaking in Indian country, because you're talking about the story of someone who's been forced against their will, taken out of their homeland. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we could talk today about post-traumatic stress disorder. We could talk about historical trauma in the relatives of Joseph. But the story actually takes a different turn, doesn't it? Yes, because Joseph, when he ends up in Egypt working in the home of Potiphar, things are looking really good for him until there's an altercation because of his uh, relationship in the home. The the Potiphar's wife decided she really liked Joseph and ended up accusing him of something he had never done uh, with her, and he ended up in prison. Mm. And so he spends time in prison in a dungeon And even in that situation, Joseph rises to the top. He is trusted by the the jailer, and and he is exonerated ultimately because he is able to interpret dreams. Hmm. And because of his ability to interpret dreams, he ends up helping the Pharaoh discover what the future would hold because the Pharaoh had had a dream and someone who had been in exile, had been in prison with him, remembered Joseph and told the Pharaoh that he really needed to hear from Joseph. The Pharaoh hears from Joseph, sees incredible wisdom in what he has done and ends up making Joseph the premier of Egypt, second only to him. And from that position, Joseph is able to help the country move in a positive direction. 
And the story has a happy ending when finally he's reunited with his brothers and everything works out really well as they are able to save his family from starvation by bringing them to Egypt. And it's as if everything was orchestrated to help his family get to this point. And it's just one of those fabulous stories that when you read it, you think, wow. So basically, this program, this Jobs for Life program, uses these timeless scriptural stories. They're presented in such a way that anyone would be drawn in, just like you drew me in, even though I'd heard the story before as you're telling it, you know, reliving it together here. And then you draw principles out of it mm-hmm. that actually speak to people, many of whom may be without a job. Some of them may be home. I mean, have homeless people come to the classes you've run? Yes. In fact, that's what really got me into the program in the first place. Because when we were in Beltsville, one of the things that I started doing, I wanted to figure out, okay, what can I do? And I'll be telling you about that in a few minutes. You're right. We don't have time right now to go into all the details, but we do have more time coming up, Glenn. You're right. We're going to be going to another segment with Glenn Holland. Some amazing things that you can do for your tribe, for your community, for your family. Jobs for Life is the program that he's been applying, and you're going to hear some life-changing stories. You don't want to miss our next segment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We will be right back. Stay tuned for more on today's edition of American Indian Living. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm sitting across from Glenn Holland. Glenn uh, is in an interesting position. He is the pastor for health ministries or community ministries in uh, Portland, Maine. We're actually, oh, probably some 30 minutes from uh, his church in Freeport, Maine. And for those of you that have been listening to this series of shows, we've been speaking about people who are making a difference, especially from the standpoint of faith-based programming in communities. But I'm trying to help you see that what we're talking about is not just about churches, temples, synagogues, other faith communities. It's about making a difference in communities, and you can do it regardless of whether you come from a traditional Native American, religious perspective, whether you consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic. Glenn, you were telling us how this curriculum does use these timeless Bible stories, but you have worked with people, including people who were not only out of jobs, but were homeless. Yes. What kind of impact did this program have? Well, what happened when I was in Beltsville, Maryland, before we moved to Maine, I was trying to rub shoulders with colleagues in the community, both faith-based and not. I worked with people from the governor's office. I worked with people from our our county councilwoman's office. I, I worked with people that were uh, doing things, making a difference in the community. I wanted to learn as much as I could because I really didn't know what I was getting myself mm-hmm. into. And I needed to learn. I needed to uh, to discover what was working and, and the kinds of things that were making a difference in our local community. And so I met a lot of wonderful people in doing that kind of work. And one of the people that really made a difference for me was Jeremy Tunstra. He was a pastor in the Presbyterian faith that had a special burden for homeless people. Hmm. He had seven children, and all seven of his children could name at least 50 homeless people off the top of their heads by first name. They recognized, they knew the people in that community. Mm-hmm. They were so integrated with the homeless of his congregation uh, over 50% of his congregation had been homeless within the last year or were currently homeless. Wow. And so he had a special passion to try to help people in that kind of community. And so I decided I just wanted to find out more about this man. Okay. He he seemed like such a such a fascinating individual. Mm-hmm. He he seemed to be the kind of person you just want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just loved everybody, and he was especially drawn to people that were suffering and, and going through difficulties in life. And he had recommended Jobs for Life to the pastors in that region as one of the tools that could help people that were homeless. Mm-hmm. And so he persuaded the Ministerial Association for the Community to band together and and provide people to assist in hosting a Jobs for Life class during the winter time in the morning when the people that were homeless and staying in shelters would be getting out of the shelter, give them a warm place to go, and two days a week we'll have Jobs for Life, and they can come to the class, and we'll work with them first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And and help them to find pathways to work that can help them out of their situation. Now, the stereotype in many people's minds with those who are homeless 
is that there's a high burden of suffering from mental illness, substance abuse, other things. And these people really are not um, able to be rehabilitated. I think a lot of people have that mindset. But you're saying, no, this is uh, a stereotype that's not true. I wouldn't say it is totally untrue because you find all types and all kinds of reasons that people might find themselves homeless. What we've discovered is many of the people that were homeless really had full-time jobs, but they could not make ends meet. Huh. And they had vehicles. Uh-huh. They would drive to work, but they couldn't afford housing. Wow. And so they were just homeless because they had gotten themselves into the situation. They weren't able, they had had a divorce or something had uh-huh. happened in their lives, and they were just struggling to make it. And so you find all kinds. Okay, okay. And so there was quite a cross section. I'm sure many of those had maybe chemical addictions mm-hmm. or or alcohol addictions, or various things that were also complicating their situation in life. But Jeremy Tunstra saw Jobs for Life as something that might help them in their journey out. Mm -hmm. And so what he did in orchestrating this program is he would pull a, a team of people together. They weren't necessarily from his congregation, but to help in organizing it and to help in, in making it happen and to be partners, to talk with people in breakout sessions and that sort of thing. So we had 18 homeless people that went through the program the first time we tried it there. Okay. Of those 18 people, two of them dropped out because they got jobs that conflicted with the class schedule. Wow. And it's actually 16 sessions so two sessions a week, 16 sessions, two hours per session. Uh-huh. It's a pretty intense program that wow. covers lots of different things, including a, a career assessment tool that is fabulous, helps hmm. you discover what your passions are, the kinds of things you would really enjoy doing, helps you get into a mode of, oh, wow, that's something that I would like to do. And so when you can find something you would like to do, then the journey to get there seems shorter. Mm-hmm. You start looking mm-hmm. at what kind of education do I need? What do I need to get to do uh, to go past this? And to make a long story short, 11 of those 18 ended up with jobs plus the two that dropped out. So I guess that would be 13 out of 18 ended up with jobs by the end of the program. And one of the individuals ended up with a job making 60,000 a year and he had been homeless and the way that happened is he and another classmate of his, uh, another a friend of his that was taking the class with him, he and his friend both decided that what they would really, really like to do is become long-haul truck drivers. Huh. But they were homeless, and they couldn't afford the schooling. Okay. But the two of them decided on a plan. They worked it out among themselves. They said, you know, I'd like to go, we'd like to go to the school in Florida to train us to be truck drivers, uh-huh. but we can't afford it. So what if we pool our resources together and one of us can go? Wow. And then when that one gets the job, then that one can help the other one to be able to do the same thing and to, to take that same school and become a long-haul truck driver. And so both of those individuals ended up being able to experience their dream. The first one was part of that first group of graduates from Jobs for Life that had discovered that that's what they would really enjoy mm-hmm. doing, mm-hmm. and that's the training they would like to get. And 60 k a year to do a job that they really enjoyed 
that would be just fabulous. And so they found a path because they took jobs for life and they discovered what their passions were. They discovered some biblical uh, stories that kind of helped them move toward that kind of thing. And uh, they're in a much better place today, I believe, because they went through jobs for life. Boy, it's a tremendous story, tremendous stories. Glenn, before we go too much further, because I know you've got a lot of great information that's very motivating, very encouraging, can anybody tap into these resources? I mean, do you have to go through some kind of training? Do you have to be a pastor to facilitate a program? For example, if a tribal elder listening right now, a tribal council person, they say, well, wow, we would love to offer this in our community for our tribal members and for others. How would they go about doing it? First thing to do is to go to if you can get web access, to go online to jobsforlife.org, jobsforlife.org. And after you get on that website, one of the first videos that I would encourage you to watch is called Flip the List, Flip the List. Because so often I think churches and charity organizations think that if we would just give people food and clothing and, and maybe housing even, Those are the kinds of things that really would make the biggest difference in their lives. But in reality, if we could flip the list and start with work, Mm. instead of having work at the bottom of the list, put work at the top of the list. And and if our communities and civic organizations and tribal leaders could tune into this idea that that providing work opportunities should be a top priority, Uh then that could make a huge difference in the community. That's a tremendous idea, and uh, I'll be honest with you, until I heard about what you were doing, Glenn, I had never heard of Jobs for Life. Is this, uh, am I someone who's just been, you know, out in the wilderness of California with my head buried in the sand, or do you run to a lot of people that say, I've never heard of this either? A lot of people have never heard of this either because it's a growing, relatively new organization that started in Raleigh, North Carolina by by a non-denominational congregation that was trying to make a difference in their community. And it it, it grew organically right there in their own little church. And they discovered that, you know, it's it's wrong for us to just hold on to this information. Mm. We ought to make it available to other people, whether they're Christian or not, this is something that could be useful uh, all over the country. So that's how it got started, and they have grown. They they have a small staff that is uh, that is running the program, mm-hmm. but it's basically a local church-run organization, and they've done a fabulous job with it. The materials are well organized. They have instructors' manuals as well as student workbooks. I brought one of the student workbooks okay. with me today, and I, I wish I could show it to our radio audience. Yeah, but, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> but it basically is an overview of the program and. And well, it gives the details of the program actually, and and it shows how to do interviews, how to you you have um, sessions where you sit down and and practice your interview skills, and you learn to to do a good resume, and how to make that resume really speak to a potential employer, how to find the right person or people to get that resume to with a cover letter that uh-huh. can make an, an impression. Uh, I think a lot of times people get the idea that a resume needs to be a very long thing when it really needs to be very short, concise, and Mm. only telling those things that are most important so that hopefully the potential employer would actually call you and say, I want to know more. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to tell everything in the resume. You just want to 
pique their interest and get them to the point of saying, wow, I want to know more about this person. And so skills like that are unpacked in this uh, in this class. Session after session builds very methodically. And you actually have to do a lot of homework in the class as well. In the homework, you go home and you start looking for jobs before you actually start calling employers or trying Uh to do any serious uh, connecting with a potential employer. You're supposed to just find out what the employers are in the area that you're looking for and bring back that information. So you're bringing reports back to class on specific kinds of things that you're perhaps interested in, and then you talk about it. And over the course of weeks, you might discover, oh, I wouldn't want to call that person anyway. I'd rather have a different mm-hmm. kind of job mm-hmm. altogether mm-hmm. because the career assessment comes along and says, well, you'd really uh, do well to look at this type of activity for something that you might really enjoy. Well, I really appreciate you bringing the resources here. I, I'm just paging through the uh, the workbook there. I mean, amazing. It's not just talking about the kind of entry-level things you mentioned that get your foot in the door. It's got practical things on the job interview and then how to keep a job. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty important, isn't it? It is very important, especially today. It's important for employers to see you as someone that is is willing to stick it out, to do those things that, that other people might not be willing to do. You really want to make your employer look good. Hmm. And the workbook helps people make decisions to make a difference with potential employers. We're talking with Glenn Holland. He's a pastor, but he's reaching across denominational and other lines and communities, trying to make a difference. He's telling us about a program called Jobs for Life. He's got some more amazing life-changing stories when we come back for our final segment. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, 
Doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've been speaking about an amazing program. I told you that I had uh, some remarkable guests earlier in the show, and I think you're finding that uh, when we've got uh, Pastor Glenn Holland on the show, he's really bringing into the studio, if you will, a number of people through the amazing experiences and stories that he's been sharing with us. Glenn, you've got another great story about the impact of Jobs for Life. Tell us about that. Sure. When we did our first Jobs for Life program after we moved to Maine, we had a lady that came to the class. She already had a business. She was already doing reasonably well, but she felt like her business had kind of maxed out. Okay. She she wasn't uh she was running a cleaning service and it was okay. But she kept thinking, there's got to be some way that I can grow past where I am. Uh And so by going through Jobs for Life, it just gave her some new ideas, some fresh ways of thinking about the kinds of things she was doing. And Jobs for Life, as far as I can tell from the curriculum, doesn't say a thing about how to run a cleaning service. Okay. But somewhere in Jobs for Life, it triggered some ideas for her. And she went back into the workplace and started hiring personnel and started finding ways to grow her business. Uh And it went to another level. And she was really excited about what Jobs for Life had done Mm. for her. And she was already employed. So it's not just for people that don't have jobs, Mm -hmm. but people that might just be feeling like, you know what, I'm not as happy as I wish I were. I'm not doing as well as I wish I were. I wish I were doing something that was making more of a difference Mm -hmm. in the lives of people. I I wish I was more satisfied with my work. And Jobs for Life might be the catalyst that can move you into such a place. Wow. So that's what happened with her. Another story, if we have time for another one. We had a young man. His father was a physician. And his father was wanting his son to be a physician too. Okay. So he really, the son really wasn't interested in being a physician, but dad Uh wanted him to. And so he respected his father. And so he went to med school. Wow. He completed med school. That's a commitment. When he finished med school, he came home after med school and he had gone overseas for med school. But when he came home after, after med school, almost immediately when he got back, his father died. And he came to me and he said, I really still don't want to be a physician. But now that I have this training, I have no clue what to do with myself. Uh Can you help me? (laughs) 
and it was just before we were starting Jobs for Life. Really? <laughs> and I said, sure, I think there's something that might be useful for you. And so I invited him to come to Jobs for Life, and he came. Mm-hmm. And he caught a vision through the career assessment, learning the kinds of things that his strengths were. He 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 finished that Jobs for Life class with a smile on his face, saying, you know what? Now I have a better direction of where I can go. Now, right after we finished that class, Donna and I moved to Maine, and I don't know the rest of that story. Oh, okay. But I do know that when he was completing the class, he was very excited because of what the class had helped him do mm-hmm. in coming to a point of recognizing that just because his father was a physician didn't mean that he had to be a physician, that he might be able to find satisfaction in doing something else, mm-hmm. utilizing the skills and abilities and the training that he had had, but still redirecting that into something that he might find more satisfying. So Jobs for Life, while it can be wonderful for people in the homeless sector— mm-hmm. It can also be helpful for people in totally different sectors in life. Wow. Now, you're not just a spokesperson for Jobs for Life, They are have you? paid me nothing. In okay. fact, I pay for my materials just like everybody else. <laughs> well, well, while we're talking about that, how big a commitment is it financially, time-wise? Do, do people have to fly somewhere to get some kind of personal training to run a program like this? No. All they would need to do is call up jobsforlife.org, or get online, mm-hmm. and w- look through the materials and the things that are online, and then go ahead and call the phone number that's listed with their website. Okay. Talk to the people in Raleigh, North Carolina. Tell Uh them your situation. Let them help you in the journey because there are resources available that if you've never been through a program before, you can still get the tools that you need to make it happen, and they'll coach you through it. They'll help you learn what you need to do in order to be able to make the class work. They have templates for how to organize your your class um, promotional materials uh, so that you can print out something that looks nice that you can give to your potential class uh, uh, um, people that would participate. And and it really is not very expensive. In our church, we started out by charging everyone about $20 to come to the class, and that included the workbook, which the dead cost on the workbooks are around $15 each plus shipping. And so we weren't trying to make anything on it, but we were trying to, by offering uh, something at a reasonably low cost, that people wouldn't see the cost as a barrier, but yet if they had a little buy-in to it, they might actually show up for classes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as opposed to just signing up and then not coming. So that was kind of the thinking at first. But we've offered several classes now at no cost whatsoever. And so we've discovered that we haven't done badly because the people we might have a couple drop out after the first session, but most people that come into it actually hang in. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's uh, bring this back to Indian country specifically, and let's take another scenario. Tribal elders listening. This is an individual, man or woman. Uh, They're no longer in the the workforce. They're uh, retired, but they're looking at their community, whether they're on the reservation, whether they're in an urban setting, and they're saying, I want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. They're listening to the show today. They're hearing us talk about Jobs for Life, and they're saying, well, you know, I don't know if the tribal council would sign off on something like this, you know, that's an option. But I may be in an urban setting. I could do something in my own home. I mean, is that even reasonable? Could someone yes. do that? Yes. We've had classes as large as 20 and as small as two. Wow. So it's possible to do it 
with a small, very small group or with a larger group. The dynamics, of course, are different in, in mm-hmm. class size. Mm-hmm. But as far as the communication of the information, you can do it with a very small group. So it's, it's an ex- excellent program to kind of tailor to the, to the size that you have available. If you have a small room, if you your living room, or if you have a larger facility like a community hall or a place to, to meet the, the, where there are larger venues, you could handle easily 50 people if you had enough volunteers to help you mm-hmm. with a class. I wouldn't go much more than that, I don't think. Okay, back to the scenario, tribal elder, got a couple of grandkids, maybe some other kids in the community they think might come over. Uh, the grandkids are 10 and 12. Is that too young for the program? Do you have to be of employment age to, to really work Not effectively? Not really. N- no. In fact, in, in Portland, a lot of the people that have come to our program were immigrants from other countries that mm. did not yet have work visas or didn't have uh, their citizenship papers or whatever they needed in order to get a job. Okay. So they weren't in a position to get a job yet. As long as people can read uh-huh. and have an interest in learning what work is all about and how to be uh, able to get a good job, they could be 10 or 12 years old as long as they're willing and interested. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't sign that off and say, no, you're too young. You can't mm-hmm. be in, involved. You'd, you'd be welcome, I think, in coming in. And if nothing else, sitting with mom or dad and and uh, looking over their shoulder and helping fill in the blanks and that sort of thing. So in that small home setting, you said it was low cost. What is it? I mean, really, give us some figures. I mean, we're talking low cost $500 or is low cost $50? Well, in order for, for the whole program? Yeah, for you to run a program like that out of well, your Well, it's obviously de- determined by class size. Oh, okay. So it's the number of workbooks. The only real thing that you have to have is every family, every household represented must have a workbook. Okay. And so that's going to be $15, however that cost is absorbed, uh-huh, whether uh-huh. people pay for it or the tribal leader is going to find resources to actually make that happen. Um, you know, there may be some community funds available mm-hmm, that could mm-hmm. be drawn on to to make the workbooks available. What we did at our church is we actually got the the funds for the for the classes uh, for for the uh, materials in advance, and then we worked it out on a one on one basis as far as whether or not people would be able to to afford that or not. And so the leader doesn't have to spend a bunch of money on special manuals and other things that they need? There's a leader's manual that's a, just a, a, about the same price. It's a little wow. more. So it's not much at all. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing, Glenn. One more time, if someone wants more information about Jobs for Life, how do they get it? Jobsforlife.org. It's that simple, That's huh? it. That's simple. That's simple. You know, we'd love to have you back. I know you're doing so much with uh, some of the real challenges in our urban settings. Uh, any chance that we might be able to get you behind a microphone again sometime? I'd love to do it. Good. Glenn Holland, our guest in this final, actually final three segments of today's edition of American Indian Living. He's been telling us especially about making an impact in your community through a program called Jobs for Life. Again, the Internet site for Jobs for Life is simply jobsforlife.org. Hopefully this material has given you a vision for something that you can do, something you can encourage your tribe to do, your community to do, and can make a difference just right where you're at. Well, our time has slipped away from us. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.